from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading comes from the Old Testament, Psalms 1. Listen for and hear the word of God. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit on the seat of scoffers, but their delight is the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteousness. For the Lord watches the way of the righteousness, but the way of the wicked will be perished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caroline. In addition to Psalm 1, uh, there is another text from the lectionary that is set before us this morning from Deuteronomy, the 34th chapter, verses 1 through 12. Uh, continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Then Moses, following the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it, Moses, with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place even to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight 
of all Israel. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, this word afresh to us this day so that our faith would mature, that our faith would grow even the slightest, that, that we would even be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, our family visited Asheville, North Carolina. And my wife, Katie, is very good at, at finding all the nooks and crannies a city has to offer. And she actually discovered this self-guided walking tour that traced the, the life and the work of Asheville native Thomas Wolfe, author of, of four celebrated novels, a bunch of short stories, as, as well as some dramatic works. Wolf is considered uh, one of the greats of early 20th century American literature. In one of his novels, Look Homeward, Angel, uh, Wolf reflects on the nature of time and how every moment, how every moment that we experience and every moment that has come to pass is, is conditioned, is predicated, is dependent upon the moment that came before it. And that moment predicated and dependent on the moment that came before that one. For example, in the opening lines of, of this novel, he poetically said, a love that ended in Texas yesterday actually began 4,000 years ago in Crete. Every moment, he said, is the fruit of 40,000 years. Every moment is the fruit of 40,000 years. His insight about time resonates with me. For after all, every moment of our existence can be traced to the moment before it. And that one traced to the moment before that one. And so on and so on and so on ad infinitum. When the prophet Moses went from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, also called Pisgah, when God showed him the land that had been pledged to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and all of their descendants, I wonder, in that particular moment, I wonder if, if Moses had a sense of time the way that Wolf describes it. For I imagine that as, as Moses looked from that mountaintop down into the valley of what was called the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I, I imagine that Moses was, was keenly aware that this very moment that he was experiencing was actually the fruit of 40,000 years. And as he looked out, I, I wonder if he began to reminisce about, about the 40 years he had spent leading the people as they wandered through the wilderness, I wonder if he recalled the reception of the Ten Commandments on stone tablets that he would later destroy because of the people's disobedience. I, I wonder in that moment, was he thinking about God's call upon his life to go before Pharaoh to demand the liberation of his kin from the bondage of slavery? 
I wonder if on that mountain that day, he thought about God's revelation to him on another mountain, a mountain where God revealed God's self to him in the form of a burning bush that would not be consumed. I wonder in that moment, did he recall his escape from, from Egypt after killing an Egyptian who was brutalizing a a Hebrew slave. I wonder if in that moment, as he looked out onto the promised land, did he recall his days as a child in the house of Pharaoh, not wanting for a single thing? I wonder if he recalled the story of his biological mother to save Moses' life from Pharaoh's murderous plan. She put him in a basket, sent him down the river, only to be taken in and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. I wonder in that moment as he looked out onto the promised land, I wonder if all of those moments that led to that one crystallized in his mind. I wonder if he could see them. I wonder if he had that sense of time and the sense that that moment, standing on the mountaintop on top of Pisgah, looking into the promised land, that that moment was conditioned and predicated and dependent on every single one of these moments that came before. I wonder if he was aware that, that he was living a moment that was, in fact, the fruit of 40,000 years. Well, as Moses stood atop Pisgah looking out, I, I imagine he might have also been thinking all of those moments that have come before have led me to this one. All the twists and the turns, all the deserts and the valleys and, and the mountaintops, the sovereignty and the grace of God have brought me safe thus far. And now here I am on the precipice of receiving the promised land. Then I imagine Moses' reflection being abruptly interrupted by the voice of God, who we learn has some hard news to break to Moses. Moses, I've, I've let you see the promised land. I've let you see it with your, with your own eyes, but Moses, you shall not enter into it. Now, if I'm in Moses' shoes, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, wait a minute, what, what did you say? Wait, ho hold on one second. God, could you, could you say that again? Because if I'm Moses and I hear God break that particular news to me, I'm upset. I'm upset because all of the moments that had come before were, were leading to the culmination of, of me entering into to the promised land. All the moments were we're conditioned to build this moment. And this is the moment I'm supposed to go in and taste the fruit, taste the milk and honey, experience the promised land for myself. Every moment that has preceded this was leading to this moment. And now God is saying no. I don't get it. Moses was faithful. I mean, he wasn't perfect. He was human, just like us. But he was faithful. He did what God asked. He was obedient. And now God is saying, Moses, that's it. The road is coming to an end for you. This is the end of your story. The people will enter the land. 
No, no, make no mistake, the people will taste the fruit. They'll, they'll taste the milk and honey of this land, but, but, but you will not. And to me, this seems just simply unfair, right? I mean, it just, it seems unjust, right? I mean, the writer of Deuteronomy expresses that unfairness sort of subliminally in how this chapter is concluded, right? If anybody deserved to enter the promised land, it was Moses. What, what did the writer say? Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. If anybody deserved to taste the fruit of the promised land, the culmination of all these moments leading to that one, it was Moses. Moses was the epitome of the person described in Psalm 1, right? He delighted in the, in the law of the Lord. He was like a tree planted by streams of living water, yielding fruit in season. And yet Moses will not enter the promised land. He will not taste the fruit, the milk and honey of that place pledged by God to his descendants. Well, friends, I, I think this text opens us up to a challenging truth of mature faith. I think it opens us up for us a, a challenging truth that marks mature faith, that our call is to remain obedient in the moment, that we're called to be faithful to God in the moment, moment to moment to moment to moment, fully aware, fully aware that the fruit of our faithfulness may not be tasted by us. That we're called to be faithful moment to moment to moment, keenly aware that the fruit may be produced for somebody else. That we may not get a chance to taste it with our own tongue, with our own lips. On this side of eternity, metaphorically speaking, we may only get to see the promised land and not actually enter it. Mature faith seeks to be obedient to God moment to moment to moment. Mature faith understands that God will be faithful moment to moment to moment. But mature faith also recognizes that we may not receive the fruit of that faithfulness in our time. When Katie and I lived in, in Bonn, Germany, we, we would often uh, travel the 18 miles or so either by boat on the Rhine River uh, or by train to the city of Cologne. And one of our favorite places to visit and, and, a, and a favorite place for all tourists in Cologne is the dome, is the cathedral. Today, the cathedral marks the skyline of, of Germany's fourth largest city. It has 86,000 square feet within its footprint and it has two magnificent spires that each ascend 500 plus feet into the air. A construction on the cathedral actually began in the 13th century, in the year 1280 to be exact, but it wasn't actually completed. Get this, it wasn't completed until 1880. Now those quick with math know that's, that's 600 years of construction. I mean, that's a long time. 600 years 
to build that magnificent cathedral. When Katie and I would, would climb the, the stairs to the top of the spires or, or sit in that cavernous sanctuary to pray or even to worship, I would often think about all the people who helped build that cathedral who, who never got to climb the spires, who, who never got to, to sit in the seat that I was sitting in, the majority of the craftsmen and the artisans and the stonemasons and the architects and the engineers across the generations never experienced that sacred space in its fullness, in its completion, the way that I had or the way that anyone who enters into that sacred space had. But, but those artisans, those laborers, they were faithful to their task at hand. They were faithful to what was in front of them in the moment. They knew they wouldn't see the cathedral in its completion. It was too massive of a project. Even so, even so, they were faithful in the moment. That did not deter them from, from doing their work, from, from doing what they were called to do in the moment. And friends, I, I think that is a very accessible metaphor for our work in the kingdom of God. How are we being faithful in the task that is right in front of us? I mean right now, staring us in the face. How are we faithful in the moment, knowing that the fruit that God produces from our faithfulness may not be that which we receive ourselves? That fruit may be for somebody else down the line. Friends, obedience to God is about stewarding the moment in front of us. It's about being faithful in the moment that is in front of us and trusting God and God's providence and God's sovereignty for the fruit to be born through that faithfulness, even if we don't taste it ourselves. A few years ago, I was, I was visiting uh, one of our members in her home and, and we were in her living room and I noticed a, a picture frame on an end table where, near to where I was sitting and the, and the picture had, had three men in it. And I immediately recognized two of the three men in the picture. One of the men was legendary golfer Bobby Jones. Another man in the picture was the 34th president of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower. But the third man I did not recognize, and so I asked my host, who is in this picture with President Eisenhower and Bobby Jones? She said, oh, that, that's my father. Impressed by the company he kept, I inquired as to who her father was. She said his name was George Champion. Now, if you're of a, of a certain generation, you'll recognize that name George Champion pretty readily, pretty quickly. George Champion in the 1960s was the CEO of Chase Manhattan Bank. But that's not how I actually knew his name. I had a different connection to that name altogether and had nothing to do with finance or with banking. You see, when I was a youth pastor, I used to take youth uh, to this camp on the border of New York State and Pennsylvania. And today, this camp is owned and run by Young Life, 
a Christian youth ministry that many of you are familiar with. And, and this camp welcomes thousands upon thousands of young people uh, each and every year. It's sort of club med for teenagers. It's an incredible place. But during the fall and the winter, when kids are typically back in school, uh, the camp opens itself up to, to churches or to regional conferences like women's retreats and, and men's retreats. And, and I had actually not only been to that camp as a youth pastor, as a youth director, but I also had been to that camp for these men's retreats that would be hosted there. In fact, one year, I was actually the keynote speaker for one of those retreats. Well, the camp was founded many, many years ago by a New York City minister who had a vision to bring inner city kids from New York out into the wilderness, out into the woods, to get them out of the hustle and bustle of the city and to, and to have them experience God in a fresh and new way, perhaps a way that they've never experienced God before. The camp to this day is named Lake Champion. It's named after George Champion because George Champion gave the money to this minister to build this camp. So about 10 years ago, as I mentioned earlier, I was speaking at Lake Champion for one of these, these men's retreats. And my talk on that very first night as we were starting this, this conference, this men's conference, men's retreat, I was, I was talking about the habits and and the beliefs that can really hold us down spiritually, those, those habits that don't uh, open us up to live life to the full the way Jesus has invited us uh, to live, all of these things that weigh us down. Now, one of my young adult friends had actually invited his, his father to this weekend retreat, and to put it mildly, retreats weren't his thing. All right, Christianity, truth be told, wasn't his thing. He was not a person of faith, and he found the whole idea that the 300 men would be gathering together, singing songs and, and worshiping God and enjoying this conference center that was Club Med for teenagers, that, that prospect seemed very, very odd to him, and it was certainly outside of his comfort zone. Still, he, he loved his son, and he said yes to the invitation. Well, after that first talk that I gave on that opening night of, of the retreat, the man asked his son uh, to go with him to his car. And as they walked to his car, to the parking area, uh, they didn't say much to each other. They reached the trunk of the car and the man popped it open and inside of the trunk were two cases of beer. Now my friend was well aware of the alcoholism that his father uh, had battled, the demons that he had battled for many, many years. And the man said to his son, I had intended to drink these two cases of beer at this retreat, but I don't want to do that. I need help. I need freedom. I need to be liberated from this addiction. I need God. And they both started to cry and they embraced. And then they walked those two cases into the woods, and one by one they popped them open and poured each beer out onto the ground. Since that day at Lake Champion, that man has been on the road to sobriety and on the road of Christian faith. He started a new life that day, right there on the banks of Lake Champion. Here's, here's the point of the story. 
when George Champion was asked to be faithful in the moment, when that New York City minister gave him a vision, a vision that was not a reality at all, a vision of what was possible on that piece of property, George Champion had no idea that two generations later, a man would commit to sobriety and commit to the way of God right there by the lake. He had no idea when he signed that check over that thousands upon thousands of young people would hear the voice of God, would commit their lives to Christ, would hear for the first time that they were included and loved by God. George Champion was faithful in a singular moment. And God's faithfulness and providence and sovereignty did everything else. He never saw the culmination. He never tasted the fruit of that decision and the fruit that's still being born even today. But he was faithful in the moment. And friends, that is what mature faith does. It's faithful in the moment, knowing that we ourselves may not taste the fruit of our labor. Friends, Moses was faithful in the moment, even though he didn't go into the promised land. And the question I want to leave you with this morning is, are you okay with being Moses? Are you okay with being Moses? Moses was faithful moment to moment to moment, even though it was somebody else and generations beyond him that would taste the fruit, that would taste the milk and honey of the promised land. Are you okay with being Moses? Moses was faithful in the moment. Moses' mother was faithful in the moment. The artisans of the Cologne Cathedral were faithful in the moment. George Champion was faithful in the moment. My friend's father was faithful in the moment. Will you be faithful with what's in front of you right now? Whatever it is that you're facing, will you be faithful in the moment, trusting that it is God who will produce the fruit. Fruit that you may never taste, but fruit that will, by God's grace, satisfy the longings of the world. Friends, are you okay with being Moses? Amen.